great honor for me today to introduce our teacher, an uh, old friend of mine, Reverend Steve Coble. I met Steve about 10 years ago. Um, he just moved here to Chicago to pursue his doctoral studies at Trinity. But before that, just to take you back a little bit, uh, Steve grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana. I went to uh, college and played baseball. That's where he came to know the Lord. He finished a master's degree and served at, was it Memphis Fellowship? Fellowship Memphis, my bad. Yeah, there we go. Uh, after moving to Chicago, many of you remember him from his time serving at Park Community Church. And then he um, is now serving as pastor at Renewal. Uh, most recently in 2019, he married Kristen. Is that correct? Did I get that right? And they just had a little tray. And tray is cute. The thing that I want to tell you most about Steve before we bring him up is one time uh, we were out about in the city. This was several, several years ago. And I was thinking about what it would be like for me in, in the future to become an itinerant pastor, which is a pastor that travels around and like gives pastors a break. Like you just teach for a Sunday. That's it. And I was asking Steve, like, what is it that makes you want to preach and teach God's word? And I'll never forget what Steve said. He turned to me and he said, it's like the Holy Spirit put a fire in my bones. That's right, Trey. That's right. That's all I got to say. Welcome, Reverend Steve Coble. Well, it certainly is a joy and a delight to be with you all this morning and so many uh, friends and uh, former colleagues and people that uh, I've known for a long time, even Bradley saying 10 years, I'm like, has it been 10? And then I count the, the years and it's been 10 years. Um, and so it is a joy and a privilege. And it's always interesting when somebody introduces you, you're like, I'm not sure what you're about to say. I don't even remember this story. I don't remember what I told you. <laughs> so it is, um, uh, it's good to be in a new place that's not a uh, so much so a, a new place. And so you see familiar faces like the Burnses and the Stubians and um, man, just so many, so many people, Bradley and, um, and so many familiar faces and people that we've done ministry with over the course of time. Matt Hughes and I were in a small group together and uh, the Walken crew. Um, I, did I pronounce that correctly? Walken? It's Walken, right? Okay. My bad. My mom had a thing for Christopher Walken. I'm just playing. Um, so it is just a joy and a delight to be with you. I want to invite your attention to Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. And the scriptures are inspired, but the chapter breaks are not. And so we're going to look at Galatians chapter 3 um, and read into Galatians chapter 4. Um, and if you uh, would, when you've got it, do me a favor and shout, I got it. And if you're able, would you please rest on your feet as we read the scripture with one another? As we get ready to read the scripture together, I, I do want to say that, uh, you know, you might see 40 people gathered in a, in a gymnasium. Um, and, uh, and yet your pastor is one of the great preachers in the city of Chicago. I consider him a, a big brother in the ministry and Many of you may know or may not know, but the past couple of years has been an incredibly difficult time for pastors and preachers. Uh, it's been lonely. It's been discouraging uh, with 
the level of apathy that in in the thoughts of coming back to church and you know who's where are they committed are they not committed do they think i suck do, you know all all of those different things those are just realities of what pastors think about and uh and and are processing through and so just want to encourage you i hope that this church is not a place where a prophet is without honor in his own home um, and so we do want to show honor to where honor is due and i know your pastor loves you and he is faithful to the word and week in and week out you're able to hear the scriptures in such a compelling and clear way that's just not the way that it is everywhere else and so i hope that uh i hope that you honor him i think i hope that you thank god for him um, I hope that you send him encouraging notes um, and bless him and his family. So with that, let's read the scripture together. Galatians chapter three, verses 26 and 27, all the way through four and verse six. It says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither uh, slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God, the very words of scripture, amen. You may be seated. Before I was born, my, my grandmother asked my mother a question that has actually been kind of ringing in the back of my mind throughout the entirety of my life. Uh, my, uh, my mother was marrying uh, a very handsome chocolate man, uh, six foot two, six foot three. I did not get that, Bradley, but uh, but he's, he, he was a very handsome chocolate man, and my mother uh, uh, was Caucasian, and my, my, my grandmother asked my mother, as she is kind of getting to the place in the late 1970s of accepting this interracial relationship, if you're going to have children, after she tells the news of her being pregnant with a son, she asked a question that has been ringing in the back of my mind throughout the entirety of my life. She said, what will he be? What, what, what will he be? Uh, for, uh, for my grandmother, it was a question of ethnicity. It, it was a question of, of identity. Will, will he be black or will he be white? Where, where will he fit into society? What will he, what will he be? And that is a question that's been ringing in the back of my mind throughout the entirety of my life. And the interesting thing about my grandmother's question, uh, even without regard to maybe what she had intentions of communicating, I believe that her question actually is a question that all of us ask ourselves. What will we be? 
What will we become? Where do we belong? Where, where, do, we, uh, where do we fit in? Uh, and the interesting uh, dilemma that I think that all of us have is that uh, we actually try to resolve the tension of my grandmother's question uh, in a number of ways. We, we look to it in our vocation. We look, uh, we look to it in uh, our, our, our status as married or single or children, two kids and a white picket fence and a dog named Lucy, right? Uh, we, we, we look to it that if I get to that place in life, then I will arrive and then I will be able to answer the question because that's exactly where I'll find my identity. And the interesting thing to me as well is that society will tell you that there is this great, uh, there is this great joy in creating your own identity for yourself, where we tell people you can be anything, be anything you want to be. You, you can do whatever, uh, whatever you want to do. And then uh, what we don't realize is all the pressure that comes along with me having the responsibility of creating my own identity for myself. What if I don't like being a doctor, Matt? What if, uh, what, if, what if I don't like to be a videographer? What if I don't like to be a chef? What if I get to the other side of what I want to place my identity in and realize it's not what I actually want to do? Then I'm crushed. Then I'm depressed. And I still haven't resolved the question that my grandmother asked. What will you be? And yet, though that question may be ringing in the back of our minds, what I love about this passage of Scripture is that I actually think that it resolves the tension. I actually think that it gives us something to stand on that's more sure than creating our own identities or, or, or looking at our ethnicity as uh, the foundation for who we are, even though it is a part of who God made us to be. It helps us understand that very question. What will I be? And so I, I want to preach from that subject this morning, and I, I want to look at that through the lens of Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 4 in verse 6, I want to answer the question, what will we be? What will we be? Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and kindness towards us. We thank you, God, even in this moment to gather together, to worship you, to sing to you, to respond in remembrance of what you've accomplished for us through your death, burial, and resurrection through communion. And yet, as we get ready to open up your word, I pray that you would open up our eyes to see magnificent things that are in it. And as Juan said, may the things that we see not just be things that we hear, but would they be things that we put into practice? Would we be doers of this word? It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So, 
what Paul is talking about in our passage today is, is really the climax of the book of Galatians itself, right? Everything is in the book of Galatians is, is actually sort of leading up to this point in Galatians 3 and 26. Uh, and everything that he says after this is going to flow out of or be the application of what he has said up into this point. And so uh, will you look back at 3 and 26 with me? For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. At the beginning of chapter 3, Paul brings a, a guy up by the name of Abraham. Now, don't go to Sunday school mode on me just yet, but, but let me just sort of paint a picture of who this guy Abraham was and why Paul would bring up Abraham in the context of our passage this morning. This uh, group of people who had come into the church at Galatia, history calls the Judaizers, the Judaizers. And they were people uh, who had come into the churches in Galatia and they said, oh, so, so Jesus is cool to begin with, but but there's some other stuff that you've got to add on to this Jesus thing. Like Jesus uh, is, is cool in the gang, uh, but but you've still got to practice the Old Testament law. And, uh, and so they're perpetually bringing up the ideas of the Old Testament law and the, uh, the patriarch of the Jewish faith, a guy by the name of Abraham. And so what then happens is that Paul turns around and, and utilizes their argument against them by saying that you believe you're the sons of Abraham. It was Abraham, verse 6, of Galatians chapter 3, as he's bringing up uh, Abraham hundreds of years before the law of Moses, the, these Judaizers had come in, and then uh, and, and, and he says in, in verse 8, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify or declare right the Gentiles, the non-Jewish believers, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Now, here's the thing. Paul is bringing up this guy, Abraham, as the patriarch, the, 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 the sort of foundation of the Jewish faith, as these Judaizers that come into the church of Galatia and said, man, you, you've got to practice the stuff that Abraham practiced and go back to the founding father and, and, and the law of Moses and all of these different things. And Paul is saying that to be declared right with God, even uh, the, the patriarch, even the grandfather of our faith understood that to be declared right with God was always on the basis of faith. As a matter of fact, Jesus would say in John 8 and 56, your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. So if being made right with God has always been about faith in the promise that God was sending or faith in the grace that God was going to provide, then what was the purpose of the law in the first place? All, all, of, all of the Old Testament commandments, and you look at the first five books of the Bible, and you see uh, the Ten Commandments, or even look at the walls in this room, you see some of the Ten Commandments, uh, and, and, and you have to ask yourself the question as we look at the older portions of Scripture and then look to the newer portions of Scripture, what exactly was the intention of the Old Testament commands or the Old Testament law? Well, the first thing that the Old Testament law actually showed us was that we're broken, that we got sin on the inside of our hearts. 
that there's stuff, even if we were to look at, at the Ten Commandments, look up, up at the wall and say, you, you shall not commit adultery, or you shall not murder, or you shall not covet. I coveted on my way to the church, Bradley. I saw a Range Rover, and I said, that's nice. I wish that was me. You understand what I'm saying? And, and the point is, is to show us that we have brokenness on the inside of us. Even the stuff that we know is right, we don't do. And the second thing the Old Testament law was intended to show us or was intended to help us with is to ensure that we didn't go off on uh, the off the tracks morally, just like completely derailed, right? It, it was to give us some, some, some ground rules, like stay within the bounds of some stuff. And then lastly, what the law was intended to do was to show us that we can't keep it. We need grace. We need Jesus. As a matter of fact, Paul was saying in other portions of scriptures, it was a tutor, it was a teacher to point us to the person and work of Jesus, that we needed to place our faith in the grace that God had provided. Uh, so for any of us who are trying to gain approval with God through the good things that we do or, or get back into God's good graces, he actually says in verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Meaning that if, if you're dependent on your good works to make you right and in right standing with God, then you got to keep it all perfectly. And we can't do that. Therefore, there's actually no opportunity for you to be made right with God. And then the interesting thing that the Apostle Paul brings up in, in our text this morning, uh, he says, for all who rely, or for, for all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And so he uses the language of the of death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in this identification with, uh, with baptized. That, that's the language. It's not just the idea of being baptized in water. It's, it's the idea that when we place our faith in Jesus, Jesus became in us, and we are in Jesus. Does that make sense? We've been united to Jesus on the basis of faith in Jesus. We, we've been united to him so that when God sees you and me, he sees his son. When God sees us on the basis of coming to him in prayer and we pray in Jesus' name, he sees his son coming and interceding on our behalf. And so the, the thing that you have to understand is this idea of being clothed with Christ is that what makes you and I right with God is the fact that we're standing in his righteousness and not our own. That means, that means when I fail, when I leave here and see somebody's G-Wagon and I say, man, that's fresh. And it's not just an acknowledgement of the freshness, but then I, tur I turn around and say, man, I, I should have been something else. I, I should have gone into finance. When I, when I say that to my heart, I don't have to say in my mind, man, I, I've had a terrible week at being a Christian this week. Terrible week at being a Christian. And, and I look at myself and, and you know what? I, I, I got in my car and I headed off to my office 
And uh, and 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 this week, man, I, I saw this dude the, the week before. I had a great week. I had a great week. I like shared my faith with my neighbor and uh, and we had him over. And and like, man, I was really loving and I cooked dinner like every day of the week for uh, my wife and kids. And I was like doing the doggone thing. I had flowers ready on Mother's Day, Bradley. I had chocolates. I had the whole nine. We, 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 it, it was good. Right. I was just I, I did I did laundry. Matter of fact, I, I, I took out the trash. I, I was I was I was doing the doggone thing. Right. I had a great week. And then on the on the next week, I get into my car and I was short with my wife on the way out the door. And, and, and then somebody cuts me off on, on the highway and and I'm flipping the bird to. Uh, to the dude who cut me off on the highway. And then I realized that the dude who cut me off on the highway was my neighbor who I was just sharing my faith with last week, right? And then all of a sudden I go into, I go into my, my like fix it mode of, of, of man, I, I've got to get myself, I, I failed at being a Christian this week. I am a failure. I got to do my, I got to, I got to do my, uh, due diligence to get back into God's good graces. That's the way our heart operates. We say grace is cool to begin with, but now I've got to earn it on my own. And here's what I, I want you to hear. That's not the gospel. So often because of the, the, the lawish nature of our hearts, we want to start by grace and be like, Jesus, thanks for your grace to begin with. Here's your code of righteousness back. I'm going to earn it on my own. And here's the beautiful thing about what Paul is saying, that through faith we have been clothed with Christ. It means I don't have to do my 6 a.m. quiet time and uh, and my lunchtime fast and prayer time in order to get back into God's good graces. I don't have to put my plan together for how I'm going to get back into God's good graces because I'm not trusting in my performance. I'm not trusting in my reputation, but I'm trusting in Christ's performance, in Christ's reputation. So that means when I fail, when I, when I flip the bird to, to my neighbor that I shared my faith with last week, and it's hyperbole, but go with me, it might happen. I get to remind my soul, God, thank you that my standing with you is not on the basis of my performance. It's on the basis of Jesus's. Thank you, God, that I'm clothed with Christ on the basis of my faith and not on the basis of of my ability to do all the right steps. Because the reality is, I can't do all the right steps. And so often when it comes to the Christian journey, we begin with grace, and then we move on to other stuff. We move on to trying to keep it ourselves. And we have this sort of up into the right mentality of like, man, I became a follower of Jesus. And, and then how, how are you doing? Are you growing? Are you growing? And that's kind of the conversation that we, that we have with people because we have this like Chicago finance picture of how we got to be up into the right on this thing. At the end of the day, Juan, the, the numbers got to show 
we in the black. You understand what I'm saying? And that's the way we approach sanctification. Or the journey of becoming more and more like Jesus. And the whole time the journey is like, oh, I need to be reminded that I'm standing in another's righteousness and not my own. The journey is reminding and rehearsing to myself, I failed and I'm always going to fail. And and the fact that I think that I can actually try and earn this on my own is offensive to God. The fact that I think that I can get this together on my own is rebellion against God. The fact that I think I can perform in such a way that gets the the up and to the right thing with, with me and God is sin. That's how far sin goes in your heart. That's how twisted we are. And that's how in desperate need of grace all of us are. So, so that we could go home on that one, right? We could, we could finish the story on that. I'm standing in Christ's righteousness. I'm clothed with Christ and not my reputation. I don't have to do the finance up into the right, uh, you know, sort of uh, graph for, for, for my journey with Jesus. But I get to remind and rehearse to myself, oh, I'm freed up. I'm freed up. I'm standing in Jesus' righteousness and not my own. Every time we fail. And yet that's not all that Paul says. Look with me at verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So Paul moves from saying that we are true children of Abraham through faith in Jesus to saying that we have become become not just the sons of Abraham, but we, we have become the sons of God. Now, I get it. I know, I, I know that some of my ladies in the room are like, to, you, know, you, you might be saying to yourself, why I got to be a son? Why I can't be a, why I can't be a daughter of God? Why, why, why we got to make this, this, this gender thing uh, a thing again, right? And yet what, what you miss in the passage actually is the subversiveness of what Paul is doing in the first century. The only person in the first century that was guaranteed an inheritance from their father was a firstborn son. So in other words, what the apostle Paul is saying in Christ Jesus, regardless of whether or not you're the second born son or the third born son or the fourth born son or the, or the third born daughter or the fourth born daughter, you get the inheritance as if you are the first born son. It is a complete equalization of society in the sight of God. And in, that's why the Apostle Paul says in 328, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, he's not saying that everybody is the same. Well, what he's saying is everybody gets treated the same. Not only do you get to stand in Christ's righteousness and continually remind yourself and rehearse to yourself that I'm not standing in my reputation, I'm standing in Christ's righteousness. That's what makes me acceptable to God. But now I've become a firstborn son of God. I have the inheritance of the son of God as though I accomplished what he accomplished and I didn't do nothing to earn it. 
That can't be what he's saying, right? That's scandalous. Like, we're so used to what I, what, what I have done, how I got into uh, the school that I got into, and how I got the promotion that I got at work is because of my performance, my ability to do all the right stuff. I got a merit-based scholarship, but here's the good news of the gospel. In the kingdom of God, there are no merit-based scholarships. And at the end of the day, regardless of your performance, you stand as one who inherits Everything that Jesus inherits based on nothing you achieved, it is the scandal of the gospel, but it is the gospel. So he goes on, uh, he goes on saying that not everybody is the same, but everybody is, is equal. And then he moves on in verse 28. We become sons of God in verse 26. We've been united by Christ with every follower of Jesus throughout the history and throughout the globe. In verse 28, verse 29, we are recipients of all that was promised to Abraham if we've clothed ourselves with God's son, Jesus. And so in in this particular context, the apostle Paul understands he blew everybody's mind, right? First century world, like he blew everybody's whole paradigm is broken up. So then he gives an illustration at the beginning of Galatians 4, to help them put the pieces back together. And then he says in verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So Jesus takes on the law himself performs it perfectly, becomes our substitute, dies in our place and for our sins. And then when we trust in him, we come of age, as the illustration in one through three says. Uh, and, and not only do we get made right with God, but we become heirs of the kingdom with Christ. Galatians, excuse me, Romans 16, 8, 16 and 17 says it this way. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We're co-heirs with Christ. That that means the the inheritance that Jesus achieved is our inheritance too. It means what God the Father says over you and me is what he said over his son. This is my beloved child upon whom my favor rests. This is my beloved child, upon whom my favor rests. I'll never forget, I'll never forget when, when I was, um, had been pastoring for a, a few years and I was on a particular retreat and they wanted us to do silence and solitude. And, and, and one of the things that I, I'm, pretty much an extrovert, meaning like I, I like to be around people. I feel like I learn more when I'm around people. And the idea of being alone by myself is kind of like, yeah, I'm cool. Um, you know, the pandemic has shifted some of those things a little bit, but in general, that's my general approach to life. Um, and I'll never forget, I, I felt like I was failing at a lot of stuff. And and I, I, I was I was like, man, like you're supposed to be the man of God. Like you're supposed to be, you're, you're, a, you're a pastor. And, and you're not doing all the stuff 
the right way. And, and I'll never forget just sitting in silence for an hour. And this lady asked us to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Just sit and reflect and listen on what the Holy Spirit is saying to you in this moment for this hour-long time period. And as I sat and as I listened, all I could hear was, Steve, you're my beloved child. I cherish you. I, I love you so much. Steve, you are my beloved child. I, I cherish you. I, lo I love you so much. It, it, it was like it over and over and over and over again. And I said to myself, Brad, that, that can't be right. Like, I haven't been doing all the stuff the right way. Right? I, I, haven't, I, I, haven't, I haven't checked all the boxes and dotted all my I's and crossed all my T's. And yet here's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The primary role of the Holy Spirit in your life is to apply the person and work of Jesus to your life. Guess what the Holy Spirit says over you and me and Jesus over and over and over again for those of us who are in Christ. You're my beloved child upon whom my favor rests. You're my beloved child upon whom my favor rests. You're my beloved child. It, you're my beloved child upon whom my favor rests. Over and over. Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, I know that many of us, uh, maybe you have a, a distant relationship with your dad. Maybe your dad was not relationally and emotionally available. Um, maybe, uh, maybe the Rolling Stones uh, saying uh, your song, uh, Papa was a Rolling Stone, wherever he laid his hat was his home. And when he died, all he ever left me was alone. Yet that's not what the text is saying about God. And I understand that it's hard for us to compute that sometimes. But when the scripture says the spirit is crying out, Abba, Father, it's, it's, it's the nature of, it's the nature of an available father. It's the nature of an emotionally and relationally available father. It's the emotion of Daddy. Daddy. My father passed away when I was four years old. And uh, I told you he was a handsome chocolate man. And he was really good at sports. And, I, and so I, I don't even think that that was the reason why I, I don't think that wanting to play sports was like the reason why I played sports. I think it was because it was, uh, it was something that I knew my dad was good at, so then I should do it so that I could at least feel like I was close to him. And so I, I played baseball, football, basketball, and, um, and I, I, I'll never forget when, uh, when, when there was career day at school, uh, my, my father was in the Army, and 
Uh, and I would ask my mom, could I, could I put on his uh, military uniform for, uh, for, uh, for the day at school, right? And it, and it wasn't because I wanted to become a military officer. Uh, it, it was just because when I put on the uniform, I felt like I was close with my dad. And it, and it was an excuse to experience that. And I'd, I'd put on his army jacket, I'd put on his varsity jacket, and I would spend hours just with this kind of imagination of, man, I feel like I'm close with my dad, even, even though I, I know that that could never happen. And I'll, I'll never forget when, when I'm 18, 19 years old, you start asking yourself all the deep, uh, deep questions of, of life. And, and I kind of came to this conclusion that if my dad was alive, I would know what I was supposed to do. I would know what I was supposed to be. And then not having faith in Jesus and then coming to that conclusion, you feel like you have an, an epiphany, so to speak. But then the epiphany is quickly clarified by the fact that he'll never be here. And so what if your identity and what you're supposed to do and be is something that you never figure out because you never have the opportunity to have those conversations. And so I'm like crushed by this, right? I'm, I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't even know. I don't even, then, then what am I supposed to do and be in life? Like what, what is, what is, what is the point of it all? And a friend of mine invited me to, um, a college Christian conference, and it, it was really strange for me at the time uh, to be going to some kind of event like this, but I just, I just felt like I was supposed to go and, and hear something about God. He had shared some, some of what had happened in his own life, and I felt like I wanted to hear more about it. And so I, I went, and on the last night, the, the, uh, the talent show that they had, they had a whole gospel choir that got up and sang. Um, and the very last song of the last night, they sang this song, My Storage is Empty and I Am Available to You. And when I was four or five years old, I would, I would pray to God with the imagination of a four and five-year-old. And I would say, God, would you send my daddy back through that door? With tears streaming down my face, four or five years old, God, would you send my daddy back through that door? And they sang that song. And I just collapsed. And I heard this Holy Spirit. Steve, I never forgot those prayers. I never forgot those prayers. Here I am, Abba, Father. Not only do we not have to earn the benefits package of Christianity, Jesus earns that for us, even though 
the fact that we think that we can is inherently rebellion against him. At the same time, what I realized, what God wanted for me was the very thing that I was praying for as a four or five-year-old child. The God of the universe becomes father. The God of the universe becomes dad. And so my grandmother's question is still ringing in the back of my mind. And I wonder if for you, you still remember it. What will you be? What will you be? My ethnicity hasn't changed. I'm still a biracial 35-year-old man. In America, I'm black. But the primary identifier has changed. I'm a son of God based on nothing I did. Now here's the question. What if we got just a portion? What if we really got just a portion of what it meant to be a child of God? I wouldn't be jealous of anything that you had. There's nothing greater than what I've got. You can achieve all the accomplishments in the world. It won't be greater than this. I won't sit around and think to myself, man, I, I, I have this fear of missing out on all these different things. Like if I would have made that decision at that particular time in my life, man, right when I was 22, if I would have just done that major, right? And, and then I, would, I wouldn't be in this weird finance world. I'd be in that finance world. And then I'd be, you know, I'd, I'd be over here. And what if I, I didn't become a teacher and I'm, I'm really good at sales, but what if I would have done, done this over here and done sales? And then maybe my life would be over here. And maybe if I would have moved to San Francisco when I had the opportunity to move to San Francisco, then maybe at the other end of that, then I would have been straight. Guess what? When we get a portion of what it means to be a child of God, there is nothing in life that I will miss out on. There is no decision that would change the trajectory to give me something greater than what I've already got. If we just got a portion of what it means to be a child of God, then I would desire for other people to want what I have. 
and I would care about the foster care system and the adoption uh, of the adoption process, and 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 I, I would I would be just a champion for other people in that same space because I want what I have to be given to other people. If I got just a portion of what it meant to be a child of God, that 6 a.m. quiet time would no longer be a duty. I wouldn't be approaching God and as a means to get back into God's good graces for my 12 p.m. fast or prayer walk. No, it would just be like, I can't wait to get this time with God. It changes what is a duty to get myself on the up and to the right, back into God's good graces, into I just want to spend time with my father. Obedience becomes delight. And so here's the question. I really feel like I have resolved the tension of my grandmother's question. All I want to do and be is a child of God. Everything I desire, everything I have need of, every hope and aspiration is fulfilled and satisfied. when I allow myself to abide in that truth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace and kindness. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that sometimes it can be so shockingly scandalous that it's hard to believe. And yet that's the lavishness with which you have lavished your grace on us, your affection towards us. Um, and I pray, God, even as we think about our obedience to you and the things that we do for you and uh, the things that we do in, in life, that they would be all motivated from understanding that grace that's been applied to our lives solely on the basis of faith. And that grace is in and of itself the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's us and him and he and us. And so, Father, would you show us ways in which we can rehearse that truth in our hearts every day that we can remind ourselves not to be like the Galatians. Paul said, you foolish Galatians, having begun by the spirit, having begun by grace. Now are you attempting to be perfected by your achievements and your performance? That's inherently, that's not the gospel of Jesus. And so I, I pray, God, that we would just be people who rehearse that to our souls, that we would be the people uh, like Mary and not Martha. God, look at all the stuff I'm doing for you. Jesus said that Mary is doing the more important thing, sitting at my feet and listening to what I have to say. And so, Father, help us to sit at your feet, to hear you lavish us with your grace and your love, 
and listen to what you have to say. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.